Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will be looking at the last part of Ephesians 2.5 and 2.6. We read in the text that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, which we saw yesterday, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We said that one of the things that is governing this section of scripture, or one of the things that we need to have in mind, is that God chose to act when we needed it the most. And we ask the question, how did he act when we needed it the most? Well, he acts according to his nature. He acts in spite of our condition. And now today we will look at the fact that God acts to make us alive with Christ. He acts to make us alive with Christ. That is something that he determines to do. And there are two things that we can note under this point here with the last part of verse five. First uh, thing to note is that spiritual life is just as much of a miracle as physical reanimation. And it's something that we as believers ought to, we ought to meditate on on a regular basis, right? We, we need to affirm on a regular basis. I would say daily, we need to affirm the fundamentals of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is God, that he left his father's throne above, as the uh, the hymn says, and he took on human flesh. He became man. He's truly God and truly man. And he took on the, the wrath of God upon himself for sin. The scripture says he became sin for us, not that he was sinful, but he took on the wrath of God for sin. And in doing so, he incurred physical death. We know from the book of Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. And so he spilled his blood. He died on the cross. He became that sin sacrifice. But then we also need to affirm that he was raised from the dead. He actually conquered death and the grave. This is one of the fundamental points of Christianity is that Jesus Christ not only paid the penalty for sin, but he conquered death. He conquered the grave and he is the first fruits of those things. This stands at the very foundation of our faith that Jesus Christ was bodily resurrected from the dead. Now, as wonderful as that is, and it is wonderful, I, it's really hard to weigh one against the other, the idea that we can come back from the dead or see the dead raised, I mean, that gives hope. It, it fuels wonderful things, right? As we think about our loved ones who've gone on before us, how wonderful it would be to see them again, or if we've ever been at a funeral, we've discussed that in the past. Well, just as we would be impressed with physical resurrection, and so we ought to be because one day we will all be resurrected, we need to recognize that the process of spiritual animation, that is spiritual life, is just as much of a miracle as physical resurrection from the dead. And we really need to stop and let that sink in. If only we could grasp that as believers, it would be revolutionary because God has made us alive together with Christ. We see in this verse and and then from the preceding context that we weren't alive at all. 
We weren't in a coma. We weren't just barely hanging in there by a thread. We were completely dead. And of course, we're talking about spiritual death. But then we notice that we see something else here. Not only has he made us alive with Christ or made us alive, but this little phrase with Christ means something. It means what? That Christ is alive. Now, there's so many verses that we could go to in the scripture to argue for the life of Christ, the resurrected Christ, right? And and we often go to 1 Corinthians 15, the great chapter on the resurrection. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but there's so many other verses as well. And this happens to be one of them. I mean, look at this. He made us alive together with Christ. That is active. It's ongoing, right? What does that mean? That means that Christ is right now in what state? He's alive. And so we can go to this verse right here and argue that Christ is in fact alive. Okay? It's not insignificant that we are tied together with Christ. He didn't just make us alive all by ourselves. He made us alive together with Christ. Our spiritual life is intrinsically, inherently tied together with Christ's resurrected body and the life that he now lives. So we don't get this life apart from Christ. It is tied to Christ, and that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing at all. So spiritual life is just as much of a miracle as physical reanimation. Uh, We had no part to play in that. We had nothing to contribute to that, except, as we noted earlier, Jonathan Edwards, the sin that made our salvation necessary. And so God's salvation gives us spiritual life, which is just as much of a miracle as physical resurrection. But we don't just note that spiritual life is a miracle. We also see that spiritual life is an act of grace. Okay, why did he do this? Well, in previous passage, right, we talked about his mercy, but God being rich in mercy. That's the withholding of something that we deserve. But when he gives us something, and especially something of this magnitude, spiritual life, we see that it is an act of grace. Uh, And he says this, and then he'll say it again a little bit later. Most of us, when we go to very familiar passages like this, especially when we're memorizing passages for the sake of being a witness and declaring the gospel to others, we go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works. We'll get to that, obviously, in a a couple episodes here. But he actually makes this statement in verse 5, by grace you have been saved. And it's such a profound truth that we need to, he's going to restate it again in just a couple verses, but we really need to dwell on that because God acts, he chooses of his own volition to make us alive with Christ and that spiritual life is an act of grace. So when Paul looks at the process of spiritual animation, spiritual life. He cannot refrain but from giving proper recognition. He has to give the glory to God. By grace, you have been saved. He says, listen, I've said everything that I've said, and if it wasn't obvious, (laughs) you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which means you had no ability to do anything. I'm just going to state the obvious here that when God makes you alive, it's totally his gift and totally not your doing. And so we recognize that even here. Salvation is not the work of man in the least. It is all the gift of God. How many times does the word gift come up with regard to salvation? Well, many, 
right? Romans chapter five, verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. Romans chapter five, verse 17, the free gift of righteousness. Uh, Romans chapter six, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we recognize that this is a gift. Grace is a gift and God has over an abundant grace as well. And so when we take this verse and we couple it with verse four and the things that we see in verse four, namely that God is rich in mercy and God is a God of love, then we see this, this magnificent work of God is seen in this, uh, this little mini trinity here that his work forms a trinity of mercy, love, and grace. So with regard to the believer, there's mercy, withholding of judgment, there's love that is poured out upon us at the cross and in Jesus Christ, and then there's grace where he grants spiritual life. Beautiful, beautiful passage here. So God acts to make us alive together with Christ, and then as we jump into verse 6, we see not only does he act to make us alive together with Christ, and that is a miracle and an act of grace, but lastly, we see here that God acts to give us the hope of the resurrection. This is verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So let's examine this idea that he raised us up. This life in Christ is, from the start, a look to the future. When we are calling people to salvation and we're giving them the message of the gospel, it is a message of the future. He has raised us up, and, and, and it's a language of the resurrection, and you say, well, I'm already alive. Right. That's why it's future-looking. Okay, This is the language of the resurrection, not only of Jesus Christ, but of our future resurrection. So sure is our future life in Christ once God has given us the faith and he's granted us salvation that he can speak of this as, as surely as it has already happened, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Are we with Christ in heaven right now? No. But we will be, and we know that we will be, because Christ was raised from the dead, and because he was raised from the dead, he has said that anyone who believes on him will be with him. He will take him to be with the Father. I mean, go back and read the Gospel of John. All that language is there. It's so beautiful. So we don't speak of Christ being raised up during his earthly ministry, but we rather associate that language with the cross and the dark days afterward when the world was silent. Then on the first day of the week, the stone is rolled away, the tomb is empty, Christ is raised from the dead, raised from the grave, he's conquered death. And so it is with the believer that we have been raised from the dead. On the one hand, our death was a spiritual stupor. We have been raised spiritually with Christ. However, on the other hand, we may also look forward to the physical raising from the dead. In fact, so powerful is Christ's resurrection from the dead that he is called the first fruits of the resurrection. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. And we know that by his resurrection from the dead, it is not only believers who will be raised up, but in fact, all will be raised on the last day. Very important point here. He has made us alive together with Christ. The fact is, though, <laughs> look at that. He has made us alive together with Christ. He will make all alive, but they won't be alive in Christ. They will be alive in spiritual death, as it were. They will be eternally dying. Uh, so that the message of the resurrection is, is it can't be, it cannot be overstated. In fact, it's probably mostly understated.
everyone will be raised on the last day. Uh, Paul says this to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. John says in his first epistle, 1 John 4, 9, uh, God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The emphasis there is on live. He has made us alive together with Christ. So he gives us the hope of the resurrection. He has raised us up. So there's the hope of, of the future resurrection. And then we look at this, that Christ is resurrected from the dead and seated with him uh, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Christ is resurrected from the dead. This is the phrase up with him, raised us up with him. Now we're focusing on the resurrection of Christ. He's made us alive with him, but up with him focuses on his resurrection from the dead. Again, back to the point that we made earlier, this is a fundamental of the Christian faith. We have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ not only died, but that he overcame death and he overcame the grave. He conquered this and he did it by his own power. Uh, go back and read Romans chapter one, and you will see that Jesus Christ is proclaimed to be the son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. So the proclamation of his deity, of his sonship, his eternal sonship in the triunity comes through the resurrection of the dead. And so we are raised up with him, which makes us focus on his resurrection. We can only be raised because Christ has been raised. We can only conquer death and see life eternal because Christ has conquered death and has paved the way. This is the salvation that's mentioned in verse 5, through Christ. Spiritual life was guaranteed through the resurrection, just as he has been raised, so we will be. But we also recognize that Christ was not raised from the dead to die again. He, he's not alive so that he can die again. That's the reason that he is the first fruits of the resurrection is because he is the first to be raised from the dead permanently. Others had preceded Christ in resurrection. We have Old Testament resurrections. We even have New Testament resurrections that Christ performed during his earthly ministry. But he is the first fruits of the resurrection because he is the first one to be raised from the dead permanently. Everyone who was raised from the dead in the Old and New Testament, they died again. As wonderful as the story of Lazarus is in John chapter 11, you know, I often, in my mind, this is where my mind goes, I look back at that and I think, man, you know, the focus there is on the sorrow that, you know, having a, a relative who believes in, in Christ, but not only that, just the, the sorrow that death brings. I mean, Jesus sees how much his family loves him. Jesus loved him. Jesus wept. He displays his humanity there. He displays that he does not delight in death. And yet, if you follow the teaching through that portion of the Gospels, especially the rich man and Lazarus, that's a different Lazarus, um, the reality is that Lazarus, when he died, would have been in what is called there in the New Testament, Abraham's bosom. It would have been a wonderful place to be. And he was brought back from that place so that he could live on earth and so that uh, their sorrow wouldn't be so uh, grievous. And yet, Lazarus is not alive today, which means that he had to die again. Uh, one could almost feel sorry for him. 
but Jesus Christ, the first fruits of the resurrection, he is the reason that anybody was able to be even be raised in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and he is the guarantee of a permanent resurrection in the future. Uh, Paul makes this explicitly clear in Romans 6, verses 8 to 10. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died to sin, or for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. In another one of those incredible but God instances, Peter is preaching at Cornelius's house to show that the gospel goes out to all people. He proclaims how, quote, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses that he did of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And here it is. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. That's Acts chapter 10, verse 40. Uh, and then you can also see this, but God raised him from the dead again in Acts chapter 13, verse 30. So we see that Christ is resurrected from the dead. Our faith hangs on that. And because he is resurrected from the dead, we have that hope. So as we continue this idea that God acts to give us hope of the resurrection, he's raised us up with Christ. We see that Christ is raised up from the dead. And then lastly, we see that Christ is alive today and is the believer's hope for the future. Okay. Uh, it's already been made obvious that he is alive today, but here we state it again and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Christ is alive today because we are seated with him. That is a that is so sure and so certain that he can talk about it as a completed action that are, we are seated with him, but that also shows that he is alive and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And it talks about our eternal future dwelling place. And that is the hope that we have. Think about this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, here's another one of those, but God, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, all of this to say, and again, uh, we've gone long, but we'll wrap up this section here. God acted at the perfect time and he accomplished all that was necessary so that we might be reconciled to him and have the hope of eternal life. Now, I think the key word here is hope. Jesus didn't come to earth to guarantee that we would live a life that was without sickness and death now. He came to the earth to ensure that we could live in eternity apart from sorrow, sickness, and death. The hope of the resurrection doesn't guarantee that you won't contract a disease or cancer. It doesn't guarantee that you'll have a perfect marriage or perfect relationships with your children. You may die sooner than you anticipate. The real question is, do you have the hope of eternal life? That hope is guaranteed by the empty tomb. Jesus is alive today, and if you have believed on the gospel, then you have been made alive together with him. Paul spoke of hope in Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25, and he said this, Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with it, or we wait for it with patience. Now, 
I, I want you to listen to what John Piper says on this topic in, in a book that came out uh, during the pandemic of a couple years ago, Coronavirus in Christ. And he wrote in that book, he said this, the object of hope is future. The experience of hope is present. You get that? The object of hope is future. The experience of hope is present. And then he goes on to say, hope is power, present power. Hope keeps people from killing themselves now. It helps people get out of bed and go to work now. It gives meaning to daily life, even locked down quarantine, stay at home life now. And of course, we could extrapolate that into the present day with economic downturn and massive collapse of uh, economies all over the world and shortages and, and food and other supplies and all sorts of things that the world is going through as I'm recording this. And maybe that will change. Maybe it won't change. But hope gives hope fuels us in the now. It liberates from the selfishness and the fear and greed now. It empowers love and risk-taking and sacrifice now. So we are fueled by hope, and hope does produce something in our life right now, but it is guaranteed in the future, okay? Uh, the object of the hope is future. The experience of hope is in the present. We have hope as believers every moment of every day in every circumstance because God chose to act when we needed it the most. We have hope because of the resurrection. Isn't that beautiful? God chose to act when we needed it the most. He acts according to his nature. He acts in spite of our condition. He acts to make us alive together with Christ. And he acts to give us the hope of the resurrection. Well, I've gone long. This is a beautiful passage here. And we've wrapped up our discussion of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. And we'll begin in on verse 7 in the next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.